This is Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture. Returning to our regular time slot after a year-long hiatus, I'm Amy Brown, and through 2022, Jim Campbell and I co-hosted a special series called Maine the Way Life Could Be. Here in this time slot, the first Tuesday of every month at 4 o'clock, you can still catch that on our archives. But now that that's wrapped up, Maine Currents is back, and I hope you'll join us every month. We're kicking off 2023 with a topic I suspect we may be spending a lot of time on this year, the pending decision about where to build a staging facility for offshore wind power turbines in the area. Theoretically, three different sites are being considered, Eastport and Sears Island or Mac Point in Searsport. Some of those close to the project suspect, though, that developing Sears Island is the real goal of the main DOT. Sears Island is right off the coast of Searsport. It's connected to the mainland by a causeway that was built in the 1980s as part of one of the many failed attempts to industrialize the island over the years. In that case, it was a cargo port proposal. In 2009, after many failed attempts to build things, including a nuclear power plant and cargo port on the island, the state signed a consent decree setting aside about two-thirds of the island in conservation easement and setting aside the remaining area for possible development by the main DOT at a future date. At the most recent meeting of the state's Offshore Wind Advisory Committee, held on December 12th, the focus appeared to be on the Sears Island or Mac Point proposed locations, with a passing reference to Eastport. I recently spoke with three area residents who are very close to this issue. Rolf Olson is with the Friends of Sears Island. Steve Miller is with Islesboro Islands Trust. And both of them serve on the state's Offshore Wind Advisory Committee. And Becky Bartovics is with the main chapter of the Sierra Club. Like Islesboro Islands Trust, the Sierra Club of Maine has served as a watchdog and advocate for protecting the island over the decades. Friends of Sears Island are the folks who have done such an excellent job maintaining the trails there, marking them, putting up educational exhibits, and holding events throughout the year on Sears Island. Just to be clear, are any of you opposed to offshore wind power in general? No. No, I'm not. I guess I would amend that by saying that, that I, I am, I'm in favor of finding resources of alternative renewable energy. Wind is clearly one. I've always thought that tidal ought to be something that's considered. Uh, there are alternative formats for wind power generation, floating or fixed bottom terrestrial or maritime. I mean, there are different forms of it. I am absolutely in favor of wind power, but mostly it's about renewable energy for me. Okay, that was Rolf Olson. And Becky, you jumped in there and said you're not opposed either. Do you have anything else that you want to add to that? Or uh, That's absolutely what I would say as well. Um, so per- good sighting of it is important. Uh, wherever wherever we cited, I think we have to be careful about that. But um, and I'm talking about the the whether we're talking about fixed bottom or or floating, uh, they need to be cited well. But um, I, I'm I'm in favor of it, along with any other you know all of the above scenarios that are renewable energy. All right, Stephen Miller, you yeah, weigh in? Uh, Osborne Islands Trust, I I think is very uh, definitely not opposed to offshore wind. We are definitely in support of research uh, into offshore wind. Um, 
but at the same time, uh, our, our primary concern and interest is uh, in uh, uh, mitigating effects of uh, climate change. And there are a number of uh, fronts, if you will, uh, ways in which uh, we can socially and individually um, deal with climate change and deal with energy use. And so um, I, I think it's fair to say that we see uh, offshore wind as simply, you know, one quiver in a big, big collection of, of, of things that need to be done, that need to be done yesterday, that we really need to move uh, smartly and directly to addressing climate change um, and, and then mitigating its effects because it's already, uh, uh, it's already happening. So um, it's a big complicated situation. I think in many respects, it's not like it's simple and offshore wind itself is complicated as well as, you know, other ways of dealing with carbon sequestration and, uh, and, and, and uh, uh, energy forms. But, um, so, uh, you know, we just think it needs to be done really, really, uh, thoughtfully. Um, but, but with, uh, you know, nimbly as well, uh, let, let's get something done here and, uh, and, and see what, what, uh, what we find to be most effective at, in, in, uh, addressing, uh, you know, probably the most important significant, uh, challenge maybe in humankind history. You're referring to climate change in general, right? Yes, that's right. So what you serve on the state's offshore wind advisory committee, what have you picked up from that and just in general, general knowledge about what a project like this entails to what they would be doing is assembling the the wind turbines or turbines. We looked this up before the show. It's turbines. If you're, if you're American pronunciation turbine, if you're the British, I'm going with the British because that's what I'm used to for some reason. But whatever you call them, there's the, what would be happening here is a place where they would be putting those together somehow, assembling them and then launching them. So they'd be bringing parts to the location by truck or rail or walk us, walk us through the operation, what this is going to, look like when it's in up and running wherever it gets put well sure i guess i will uh you know preface a little bit of detail by saying that um the offshore wind port advisory group meetings have been largely disappointing for us um, because we have not seen uh, a whole lot of new useful information uh presented um but at the same time um i uh Somewhat tongue-in-cheek, told somebody after this most recent meeting that it was the least disappointing meeting of all four. <laughs> um, so you know, maybe we're uh, on a on an improving curve here. But offshore wind, uh, as as configured by uh, the uh, folks at Aquaventus, which is sort of a yeah. uh, University of Maine project that's now um, hands of uh, some significant corporate interests. Um, but Aquaventus particular iteration of offshore wind uh, would would entail uh, bringing materials uh, and significant numbers of materials and some components to a site uh, and assembling them. I guess first they have to assemble or create a foundation for this floating turbine. And then the turbine uh, foundation is launched. And uh, once it's launched, it's brought back to some uh, K or some uh, interface with the uh, upland location. And then the uh, 
we're talking 800 foot tall stack or tower is put on this foundation at the top of which are humongous blades and uh, in a generator. Um, so uh, it, it, it's a, it, a massive kind of operation. Even to create one of these would be, would require uh, heavy loads, would require lots of space, and would require significant kinds of shorefront activity. Mm-hmm. So it's a big, big deal. It's it's bigger than than I think any of us have any real sense of right now. Um, uh, uh, Jimmy Freeman, a friend of ours who's been involved with Sears Island issues since um, he was born, I think. <laughs> um, <laughs> Possibly anyway. before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so uh, sent a video. Uh, YouTube video a little while ago to us, but uh, guys, what, what, what some guys were doing to uh, service and maintain a, a turbine uh, that was on a fixed foundation that was um, maybe there was like 400 feet tall. And it was unbelievably scary, you know, to, for them to be able to get up to this generator. And this we're talking about something floating out in this windy, you know, <laughs> wave, uh, you know, infused environment. I mean, I, I just can't imagine asking any technician to service one of these things. That's 800 feet in the air. I mean, how are they even going to get there? Uh, you know, climbing up a tower in inside of it is what this other video was describing. Doesn't seem likely. And it doesn't seem like you could have an elevator. So does that mean, you know, you have to drop people by helicopter on the top? Of, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm really getting off into some speculation here. The point being, though, that the operation that we're talking about is definitely huge. The upland significant uh, uh, activity would, uh, as currently configured, will probably require close to 100 acres perhaps a little bit less uh, of upland air, as well as some uh, as currently configured, very likely a pretty substantial K, uh, which involves filling uh, intertidal and subtidal area. Um, right, the last, well, the Moffin and Nickel report uh, suggested that um, 45 acres of Sears Island would be compacted. They would remove uh, uh, 1.2 million cubic yards of earth from Sears Island and use a good part of that to fill something like 17 acres of marine habitat, all of which has to be significantly compacted because the the, the load, the weight on this, the all, both areas is is so significant. So, you know, just that alone and, and it's the 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 build out at, at Mac Point would involve somewhat similar real estate. Um, but uh, obviously we're talking about a very different uh, ecology. Becky, just go ahead and jump right in. I say that one of the things that you didn't mention, Steve, that really is stunning to me is the size of the platforms that will be built on land. So they're 200 by 200 by 50 feet deep. And that has to get moved onto this barge. So the machinery to move that a huge piece of concrete is like the tar sands trucks. They're huge, bigger than houses, you know, trucks. And, um, and they, that will be what is required to push or move. However, I don't know how they're going to do it. Probably. I, I imagine they'll use rail or something, 
But the weight of that and the weight of the truck to push it out onto the barge, um, you know, requires significant compaction of soil. So besides the fact that there'll be 17 new acres of of soil that's stuck in the middle of that harbor, um, it will also be um, be heavily compacted. Well, I think on the on the dock itself or on the quay. This is Rolf Olson from Friends of Sears Island. As Steve calls it, that was I think six thousand pounds per square foot compaction, and and that's the the area that's that you're talking about that seventeen acres, and then on land in the upland area, it's more like three thousand pounds per square foot of compaction, and that is it's it's, it's significant, and they're counting on um, a lot of technology to get to have that happen. And, and to echo what, what Becky said too about the size of these foundations, as I've seen the designs, there are basically three concrete and steel cylinders that are connected by tubular steel and, and girder steel. And I don't know what the diameter, diameter of these cylinders is, but they're hollow floating concrete cylinders. And that's what supports these these huge towers that will hold the turbine um, and the blades and the assembly, um, and, and it kind of raises in me the the issue of the different technologies. I mean, these are um, what's called uh, vertical axis, <clears throat> excuse me, horizontal axis turbines, because the axis for the blades is horizontal. There is a different style that is a vertical axis. Um, and the vertical axis actually places the generator at or near the surface of the water. So there's no need to get a technician several hundred feet into the air to service the whatever needs servicing periodically, which these things will will need, of course. Um, so there's, and I'm not an engineer, so I don't know what the, the real benefits are or disadvantages are of the different technologies but uh, you know i'm very curious and concerned to know that all these have been fully explored before jumping on board with both feet and and pushing full steam ahead on this university of maine floating system with the horizontal axis generation capability so this whole thing is done in collaboration with the University of Maine and these offshore wind turbines that they've designed. That's the, it wasn't like a RFP kind of thing for who can build the best and cheapest wind power, offshore wind power. It's something the state's collaborating specifically with the university over. Is that right? Can you give some background on that? Those of you, uh, both Ralph Olson and Stephen Miller from Islesboro Island Trust are on that offshore wind committee for the state. I guess I would start by saying that, you know, our, the, the scope of our responsibilities in the offshore wind port advisory group is to site, you know, to, to pick the best site for the port if it is indeed needed in Penobscot Bay. So this idea of this notion of discussing what wind generation technology is the best or has been considered isn't necessarily in our purview. And so I don't know the answer, you know, that if they've done a full vetting, what I think, you know, Steve may know more about it, but this Aquaventus program, you know, there is a turbine manufacturer, that's a partner in this university of Maine and the, you know, they've got the floating 
based technology. There's three or four partners, aren't there, Steve? Yeah, I think there's primarily right now um, two corporations that are that are financially involved and um, you know would 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 be uh, identified as owners of of any uh, any any further development uh, offshore. I, I don't even know at this point how much the university itself is, stands to benefit. I, I'm not quite sure what their sort of proportional interest is in in realizing this to happen. There's something, I'm sure. I'm sure there is something there. But um, but but it appears from at least my standpoint to be the case that um, that uh, this has has been uh, taken up by, um, you know, some some uh, uh, investors uh, who, who see, uh, you know, a, a way to uh, to promote some renewable energy, but also to make some some uh, some money out of this. Uh, not that there's anything wrong with that, but I have become actually increasingly aware in side research, uh, both Rolf and I and probably others on the committee have done a lot of uh, outside of the committee work to see, well, how does this fit with with our needs as a nation um, and so forth. And one of the things that's been striking me as of concern personally anyway of late is how often the um the, the promoters of this particular research and experimental array um are citing the need to be competitive the need to get in the door before uh fixed foundation uh turbines are are built off of you know the east coast further south and therefore render our activities or Maine's activities perhaps unnecessary. Um, that to me is a is an unusual attitude to take when when we're in the, the urgency of dealing with climate change to me is is, is kind of like you know a war almost. I mean, we really have to come together as as a nation and figure out how we're going to stop you know pumping carbon into the air. And and how we might be able to maintain some of the, you know, uh, luxuries in in in, in uh, our state, our, our uh, well-being uh, that we currently enjoy. So, um, so you know, to think in terms of you know trying to get in the door before you know Maryland or North Carolina or whatever, to me is 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 an unusual approach. It's an unusual mindset to enter into this kind of thing. Um, let me let me just uh, pause for just a second to let listeners know that you are listening to Maine Currents on WERUFM. I'm your host, Amy Brown. That was Steve Miller from the Islesboro Islands Trust that you just heard from. And before that, Rolf Olson from Friends of Sears Island. Becky Bartovics from the Maine chapter of the Sierra Club is here with us as well. All of these folks have been involved uh, in Becky and Steve's case, I think, for at least the last two or three proposals to develop something on Sears Island over the decades. And uh, Rolf is very much involved in the day-to-day Sears Island operations that are happening out there. In operations, I mean like recreational operations, including things like a solstice celebration and educational signage and trail marking and so forth. And both Stephen Miller and Rolf Olson serve on that wind advisory committee. But it's interesting to me to hear that you two don't necessarily know 
all of the background, even serving on that committee, of what got it to the point where they put it out to a committee to start talking about about a location. So what you're describing, though, is a public-private partnership of some sort, correct? Yeah, and that's not, that's not well defined at all. Um, you know, our offshore wind port advisory group that Steve and I are part of, along with, I think, 17 other individuals representing different stakeholder constituencies, um, it's, it's part of the governor's energy office plan. You know, there is a, a larger umbrella main offshore wind that there are different working groups. I think there may be four working groups that are each tasked with looking at a different area. And one of them I, I'm imagining is, is looking at which system, which design is the one will be best suited for the Gulf of Maine. All right. So back to locations then, because that's what you all are sort of specializing in. Steve, are you not sure about that? Is that? Yeah, no, that um, I guess I don't have in front of me the paperwork that I kind of wish I had, but I'm pretty sure I've seen some evidence that uh, the state of Maine has actually entered into some form of agreement with the university system and Aquaventus, uh, the, the corporate spinoff to to indeed use their design. I think that that's um, already in place. Don't know the details behind that. I don't know who uh, who all will benefit um, and that kind of thing. I don't know what the partnership looks like, but, uh, but I recall seeing some evidence um, that that is in place. And in fact, um, this past summer, as I recall, the Public Utilities Commission received a, a proposal for rate uh, the rates they they get to set the rates of what the power generated by the um i believe it's referred the single turbine that's supposed to have been built off of uh, uh Monhegan next year is probably not going to be built off of the place up but that one uh, uh had to have uh you know uh, uh, the PUC approve what they could sell the generated electricity for. And there were there was paperwork brought to the Public Utilities Commission this past uh, summer, um, much of which was redacted, but I did take a quick look at it. But making it quite clear that um, that the, the, the state's efforts to develop offshore wind in the Gulf of Maine is, is very much tied with the uh, university and the corporate interests that we're talking about here. But this advisory group, as, as Rolf, you know, accurately said, we've actually been told some of the questions we have aren't relevant to that particular group's uh, um, uh, charge. So, um, so, you know, we do what we can and we, we do some research on our own. Well, I think it's safe to say we're trying to do our due diligence in areas where we have questions that actually are germane to the issue of where a port is cited. Let me, well, let me, Sorry, let me just follow up on before we go too far away from what Steve just said. I want to go back. I had a question about that. What was redacted? A, um, I, I think I would, I think it's accurate to call, call it a proposal brought by uh, the, the investors in Aquaventus to the Public Utilities Commission uh, for uh, approval of a rate to sell the power that would be generated in the offshore wind turbines to the marketplace. So it was under the guise of um, proprietary corporate information or something that was redacted? 
That's right. Okay. It, okay. Sorry about that, Rolf. With some detail into that, um, but the uh, Portland Press Herald did a pretty good job of at least uh, bringing that news that that was happening right uh, to the fore, and they had a, uh, a copy of the highly redacted uh, proposal right. available. Um, but maybe we we'll try to link to that. Okay, sorry, Rolf, to interrupt you. I wanted to make sure we didn't get too far away from that, so it didn't make sense when I asked the question. No, all I was going to say is that the different technologies require different port configurations, and so there can, you know, as as we talked about, the enormous size of these particular offshore floating turbines that will be, we're told, in the twenty megawatt scale size, and I think there are. 15 of them or something that they're planning to build and, and deploy. Um, you know, the, the, some of the vertical access systems don't require nearly as much acreage. They don't require adjacency to deep water. They may not require their, um, the condition that there can be no aerial obstructions such as bridges or overhead wires between, you know, the manufacturer site. And so there are different different components of the, the menu of the, the style that, can affect what sort of configuration of a port you need. I believe that some of the elements, if I'm recalling correctly, for the the LPG proposal for Sears Port, which was going to be on the mainland, the elements that didn't dive with the town's ordinances had to do with lighting and uh, the vehicle traffic. At the end of the December meeting of the Offshore Wind Task Force, there was question and answer session, but I don't really feel like this was addressed. Do you have any information? What has been said, if anything, about what we're looking at in terms of trucks going on and off? I, I envision these giant vehicles that bring the parts to the on land wind turbines that, uh, you know, block the traffic. They need the whole one side of the road. Everybody has to pull over because they're bringing a blade at 10 miles an hour from Portland or Arista County or something. That's an easy question to answer. Oh, good. Because, you know, because, I mean, what we're told so far is that most of the components, and that would be the the turbine blades, the tower sections, the, the raw materials for the concrete, would most likely arrive by ship. There would not, you know, they would not arrive over the road. That said, you know, the, the, uh, in order to have this facility on Sears Island, it would take improved road infrastructure. Right now, as many people may know, there is a road that was constructed, I believe, back in the eighties, um, to, that was intended to support a port a cargo port that was envisioned at that time. It is, I'm told, uh, a pretty substantially built road with quite underpinnings, but probably not uh, to the the specifications that would be required today. There would probably also be needing uh, a new road that would more or less travel along that western shore that's separate from the area that's intended for the manufacturing, you know, facility that roughly a hundred acres. So some of the information I've read indicates that the existing road would actually be a secondary access to the manufacturing port area and that a new road with new power infrastructure and road access would be needed. For just for employees getting on and off, if they're bringing everything in by ship, why do they need to build a new road? And basically that would be through like the, 
near the wetlands that they illegally filled in the 1980s, I believe. You know, Becky, you're nodding is, yes. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, the plan is going to eliminate a number of wetlands. So, I mean, there's wetlands all along that coming that, that drain right down into there below, which has been a lot of eelgrass over time. So, um, you know, that which the wetlands, you know, affect, you know, uh, provide nutrients for. So, uh, yeah, that it, it's stunning that they want to go through there. It's obviously the shortest route, but I'm not sure what's going to happen with the uh, with a causeway. You know, how how is that going to be? I don't know. And I I have missed a meeting. Um, so maybe they talked about that at the last meeting. If I could add a couple of comments, I think to, just to build on what both Becky and Rolf have been saying here. Uh, one is that Osborne um, uh, Trust uh, worked with the Dawson Associates. Those were the folks that uh, determined that the big dredge in the turning area and expanding that uh, entry area wasn't necessary and it wanted to bring the types of ships that uh, were being proposed back around 2013 or so. We worked with them. Uh, I asked them, uh, well, what do you think about Sears uh, Mac Point as a, as a site? Can you give us your estimation or your sense of whether Mac Point can sustain this uh, uh, offshore wind facility as, as Moffat and Nickel described it in November of 2021? And so they did some work, um, kind of preliminary work. But one of the questions that they did have was about the causeway. Um, uh, they had some real questions whether the causeway was built sufficient to support a lot of weight. So I think that question is really very germane and unanswered at the moment. The other thing, though, built on a sandbar. Yeah. The other thing that I thought with no movement of water underneath it, which water has a tendency to kind of attack the base. But um, Another thing that I thought was very interesting in the December uh, offshore wind port advisory group meeting was a discussion about whether or not uh, the deliveries could be made to the uh, improved uh, dry cargo port pier that's already at Mac Point. Um, uh, Sprague seems to be of the view, Sprague Energy seems to be of the view, uh, and their voice at these meetings has been Jim Terrio that uh, improvements to the dry cargo pier would be uh, able, would enable virtually everything that needs to be brought in by ship to be delivered there. Um, Moffat and Nickel and Department of Transportation have continually made uh, a strong argument that the K from which they would launch the uh, turbines, and in particular the uh, foundations, um, needed also to be uh, capable of handling deliveries. So um, I think that that's a, a major question. It has everything to do with size and configuration and, and depth at, at, at the K. So um, if, in fact, um, you know, Sprague, who's been in this business for a long time, um, is accurate, then the improvements to the dry cargo pier may be sufficient for deliveries. It also is insane from my standpoint, and this is a point that uh, Becky has, I think, very well articulated uh, since we've been talking about this for over a year, in that if you were to bring deliveries to Mac Point, why would you then want to ha- put them all together on Sears Island? <laughs> you know, that, that just doesn't make any sense. You have to barge them from Mac Point across Long Cove to get over to Sears Island. That- Not efficient. 
Well, and I don't think they have electric vehicles planned. So we're talking (laughs) about a lot of carbon, you know, in the process. Um, So all three of you favor that Mac point, just everything being done over a Mac point, correct? Yes. Friends of Sears Island have our official position that, you know, if a wind port is to be built in Sears port, it should be done on Mac point and not on Sears Island. And I think that's that's an important organizational. We're not an activist organization. We present programs. We build and maintain trails. That's what our volunteers, you know, love to do. We have one paid person who's a contract person who develops programs for us and and manages our social media and and helps to bring a lot of people to the island. But you know, we're not. This is something that I'm doing. You know. Because I live in Searsport too, and that's why I'm on the board. And my this is my volunteer. I'm looking to give back to the community and to the the, you know, the state and the country and the world, for that matter. Um, we just believe it should be built on Mac Point. How would having this on Sears Island impact the kinds of activities? There's a sign up now. I assume Friends of Sears Island put it up because you've been responsible for all the trail signage that has a map and it shows the proposed, the 340 acres that are, were set aside for potential transportation use. Not only goes up that as you come on the island, up the, uh, sort of the right hand side of the island as you approach the island from the causeway, but also partially to the left. So as you hit the island, both sides of the island there, the beachy areas where a lot of people like to go with their kids and their dogs could potentially be impacted by this oh, it, project. It will be. It will be. And, and I, you know, it's important to note that if this is sited on Sears Island, the wind port, there will no longer be parking on the causeway, which is the parking area now. And, you know, on a summer day, you can see 100, 120 cars literally parked on that causeway and people using the beaches on both the eastern and the western shore and hiking the trails. And it still doesn't feel like you're in the in a crowd, even with that many people on there. But what would have to happen is uh, then part of that northeastern part of the island would not need to be taken for new parking areas. So they would need to configure a road that goes on to that northeastern part of the island with parking for, I don't know, X number of cars. I have no idea what that might be. And this is part of the plan that the state has intended to be sort of a carrot, an, an incentive, because you know, our organization has talked about the idea of building some sort of a, you know, maybe a, just a, a, a roofed um, outdoor classroom, you know, three wall or three open walls and a roof, and maybe some uh, secure area for to secure, you know, weed whackers and, and other chainsaws and other devices we use to maintain the island. Um they're talking about building a visitor's center and even envisioning this being um, something of a revenue source with employment potential. Well, that that doesn't jive with what our vision for the organization and for the island is. And I wonder if it jives with why anybody comes to Maine. If you're going to visit an island well, off the coast of Maine, do you want to go to one that's half industrialized or you want to drive down the road a little bit to another one that's not yeah, I, my feeling is that it would <clears throat> definitely have a, a significant negative impact on the experience 
of visiting Sears Island. And that's the best way I can say it. I don't know what it'll be. I mean, right now, there are times if you're on a trail, you might hear a, a, a truck over on uh, Mac Point backing up or something like that. But it's it's not loud. If it's right on the same island in the adjacent property, there will be a noise factor. There will be overnight, you know, lighting factor. There will be a crane that reaches several hundred feet in the, in the air that will have to be illuminated for, you know, aircraft safety. Um, lighting of the secure area. Uh, I, I still chuckle when, when people ask early on, well, does this mean people won't be able to walk all the way around the island? And, and people no, in DOT and Mac Point said, well, we don't really know. Well, of course they can't. You know, it would right. be a, a federally secure port area. It's so. already hard getting over the jetty <laughs> when you're trying to do the whole go yeah. around the whole island. Uh, yeah, Steve, just to, uh, you're up next, but let me just remind listeners that you are listening to WERUFM. This is Maine Currents. I'm Amy Brown. You're going to hear from Steve Miller next from Islesboro Islands Trust. That was Ralph Olson you just heard from. Becky Bartovix from the main chapter of the Sierra Club is here today. And uh, I want to ask Steve if you'll consider this in whatever you're about to say. Also, with all of the projects that have not made it through permitting and the nuclear power plant was because the soil's unstable out there. There's supposedly some kind of earthquake fault or something. The jetty that was built for the cargo port filled in wetlands illegally just to get as far as they even got with the project and the causeway. What are the chances that that it could actually be permitted, go through all the permits, not just at the state and uh, Army Corps of Engineers would have to be involved in this, right? And then the town of Searsport as well. So, Steve, what, I know you wanted to say something else, but if you could address that too, and then I'd like to hear from Becky and Rolf on that as well, if they have thoughts on that. Sure, yeah. Just real quickly to Rolf's point, though, um, the Moffat and Nickel folks suggested that there would be two parking areas in the conservation area. That means, you know, sitting within conserved land. They're not, how could they do that? Well, they would have, I think that the easement must provide for that. But in any event, whether it does or it doesn't, you know, they could do it. (laughs) They would find a way. But the proposal was for 80 cars, one 50 car lot parking lot and one 30 car parking lot. But to your question, um, uh, we're convinced that um, that there would be a long, drawn-out fight over whether or not uh, a permit could be issued for this kind of facility on Sears Island. Um, why the state of Maine would even want to engage in that kind of uh, uh, controversial proceeding is, is, is hard to understand because um, the history says that uh, uh, Inland, I mean, uh, U.S. Fish and Wildlife, the National Marine Fisheries Service, and the Environmental Protection Agency, federal agencies that would have to uh, review and weigh in on an environmental impact statement, um, but in, in the past have cited the ecological resources at Sears Island as exemplary. Even the Army Corps of Engineers, for whom it seems like they rarely see any development that they don't like, um, actually said that the resources on Sears Island back in the, they said in the 1990s, that the resources on Sears Island were, were highly unusual in New England. So, um, so it, 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 it's, it just begs all kinds of questions as to why you would even want to engage in that. Um, but we believe, and we have reason to believe that in particular, 
the Federal Fish and Wildlife Agency uh, would, would be uh, quite concerned about a proposal to develop Sears Island when in fact it's very likely that this, uh, when we believe at the moment that it is possible to do any of this over on uh, Map Point. We approached the Friends of the Coastal Islands National Refuge uh, to see what their view was because uh, the uh, Coastal Islands National Refuge in the uh, uh, 1990s actually considered uh, partnering with us as a you know a nonprofit entity uh, of, of putting a uh, headquarters on Sears Island. Um, and, and Islesboro Islands Trust actually, while there was a small window of possible uh, purchase uh, because the state wasn't sure if they wanted to buy it or could raise the money to buy it. Uh, we approached um, the, the, the owners at the time about buying it and working with uh, uh, that federal agency to, to fulfill that kind of potential for conserving Sears Island. But anyway, the friends in, in a, a written statement have uh, very much endorsed our, our same position. That, that is very much what Ralph said, only slightly different. Our feelings are that if a offshore wind facility is to be built in Penobscot Bay, anywhere in Penobscot Bay, that Mac Point is the best place to do that. So, um, you know, in addition to one of the uh, uh, to, to, to the issue about uh, whether or not deliveries could be made to the uh, uh, dry cargo pier at, at Mac Point during the last meeting, um, we also uh, it was made clear by the Department of Transportation that an initial that the initial Moffat and Nickel report suggested they would have to create a new turning basin off of a new keg to the west of the current piers at that point. Um, what they've now d- sort of admitted is that they don't need to create a new turning basin. That turning basin that they that Moffat and Nickel initially said was necessary would have required dredging something on the order of like nine hundred thousand cubic yards of, of material. That's a big deal. Um, we think that the material is suitable for upland disposal, but that's still a big deal. Um, this current uh, uh, revelation about the the absence of need for that. Um, would require far, far less. In fact, just in terms of air, I don't have cubic yards, but the turning basin that was in the Moffin and Nickel report would have encompassed uh, 112.7 acres of wetland, or marine environment that would have to have been dredged out. How many cubic yards of dredge they were saying was going to be substantial around our 900. The, the, the new configuration or revelation that that's not necessary would have a an approach only 40 acres so about uh, what a third of of what had initially um we weren't told how many cubic yards that represents i guess they haven't done the research to tell us what uh, that really means in terms of dredging but considerably less than uh, the moffat and nickel made where exactly would this be cited the uh, Bordering the uh, entryway, the current uh, channel that you boats uh, vessels use to get to the two piers at at, at Mad Point, just west of that, abutting it, and just west of that would be a way for ships if they were making deliveries and and the turbine foundations and and all that's associated with that to come and go. So they would be able to get over to the the, turn, the existing turning basin, and then if they had to turn. 
to head out to sea, then they could do it over there. So it's just a way to get to the uh, location, which is at Mac Point, but just west of the two piers that are currently there. So we have about 10 minutes left. Yeah, Becky, I definitely want you to jump in. And I'd like you all to just kind of have the gears turning if you want to address this question next as well. Some of the folks who are involved inside this project have confided off the record. I can't remember if anybody's actually said anything on the record on any of the reports that I've done that they feel like this is sort of a done deal, that it doesn't appear that Eastport's really being considered at all and that Sears Island is really where the state wants to locate this. So after you make your point, Becky, if you have an opinion about that, if you could weigh in and uh, Rolf Olson, Stephen Miller as well, let us uh, let me know what you think about that, whether or not Sears Island is a done deal. And also before we end, if we have time, I'd like to hear if you have any thoughts about whether or not anything can be done to protect the entire island moving forward. So Becky Bartovic from I mean, Tap Dress Sierra Club, over to you. That last point would be a dream for all of us that we, and including Kyla Bennett from the Public Employees of, for Environmental Responsibility, uh, you know, she doesn't want to fight this fight another time. Um, it's, uh, you know, it, it makes a lot of sense for the resources that are on the island to do that. Whether we can persuade uh, the the DOT that it's actually the people of the state of Maine that own that island and not the DOT, um, then, uh, you know, uh, but I don't know that they will agree to that. However, um, what I, the point I was going to make uh, talking about the dredging, one, one of the major reasons that have been, has been presented to us with the economic analysis, which is a marginal at best economic analysis through the Moffat and Nichols, is the cost of the dredging. And um, that it, the dredging Mac point would cost much more than um, than using Sears Island. And I just want to point out that they just, you know, actually, you know, had some reality therapy um, that they will not have to spend, you know, that much uh, dredging in order to use Mac point. Um, so I, you know, I think that the, some of their arguments are, you know, are kind of moot. The other thing is, if we're really trying to do this in a big hurry, um, Sears Island, developing Sears Island would take two years longer than developing Mac Point. So, um, and it's moving a huge amount more soil, you know, the, a lot of the soils over on Mac Point are already compacted. So, um, although we have not got an analysis yet on the soil, you know, for the soils on Mac point. So, um, you know, but, you know, it's already an industrialized site. It does not have wetlands, um, you know, whereas Sears Island, you know, is a, you know, is a burning magnet. It is, you know, a migratory bird stopover. The lights um, that are going to be on Sears Island, I think will impact those migratory birds. So, I mean, I think that, if we really are looking at an, an analysis of what's going to cost least and be done sooner, if we're really concerned about climate change and getting things done more quickly, then uh, they will not go into the battle of, of us preserving Sears Island, and they will use the obvious uh, site of Mac Point. I have been to Eastport, but I have not been to the Eastport terminal, but Rolf has. So um, I think, you know, the DOT has never spent much time or energy on on Eastport, even though that was, you know, supposed to be part of the three port strategy. 
but I'm going to pass it off to Rolf for that. Okay, and, and and we have about six minutes left. So, uh, Rolf and uh, Steve, if you want to each take about three oh. minutes to either answer my question or say whatever you were going to say, uh, but you have about three minutes each. Sure. Well, just to follow up on Becky's comment about Eastport, I was there. I did see it firsthand. Um, the port of Eastport is virtually unused. I don't think they've actually had a cargo landing there this year, even. They do not have a, a director. They've had a part-time director. They would be eager to have this in there. There are some advantages and disadvantages. One of the advantages is the water is extremely deep there, right at the, uh, at the dock itself, the pier, 65 feet, and so no dredging would be required. A disadvantage is that there is some upland, you know, the areas that need to be carved out and flattened out to create the space. But, you know, I don't see that this is a serious alternative, um, but I'm not terribly knowledgeable. The the permitting itself, I'm not an expert, but I would say that's going to be the huge barrier. As Becky said, as I've said several times, that I believe that the state should choose the pathway that has the least amount of obstacles that is still practicable. And Mac Point presents that option. Sears Island will bring all kinds of public turmoil. We'll be reliving past history again and again. It's Groundhog Day. And, um, well, reliving past, reliving yeah. past history with a lot more people who use the island on a regular basis, very invested in protecting it than, and partly because of the activities of Friends of Sears Island, I think. Yeah. We l- literally have two minutes left, Steve. So you get the last word and then I'll have you each give contact information because the, people can go to your websites and learn a lot more. Um, well, just real quickly, I think I, uh, want to just, offer the view that um, in many ways this appears does appear to us um, uh, as a bit of a Trojan horse that the Department of Transportation really wants to develop Sears Island and hey here's a good chance that we even already have a bunch of environmental organizations who have been sold on this concept um, They've been sold on the uh, either that uh, both Mac Point and Sears Island were necessary or that Sears Island was absolutely necessary. And to, to, to date, we have seen absolutely zero evidence that Sears Island is absolutely necessary to continue to do the research and to develop this uh, this technology in Maine. One, one point, there's been, we have been doing some research into uh, internal DOT correspondence um, and and we have lots of reason to to believe that in fact this has been about Sears Island for the Department of Transportation for uh, since before the Moffat and Nickel report was issued uh, in, in November of 2021. One of the statements that I'm about to quote that I think is kind of illustrates why Islesboro in particular is concerned about this threat. Um, is a is a uh, a statement just made about the, what kind of port they would like to have, and it says to provide the state of Maine with a flexible marine terminal that can service multiple cargo types, in parentheses containers and bulk, both between wind projects and after the market for offshore wind turbines has run its course. That is a quote from correspondence. Uh, among Department of Transportation officials. And so I think it pretty well uh, illustrates that there are, at the very least, 
some very important uh, voices within that uh, within that bureaucracy. Um, and, and it appears to us as if it's uh, ubiquitous throughout uh, the governor's uh, uh, advisors. All yeah. right. So more to follow. But I know that you have a lot of information on your website. So uh, what is the website for Islesboro Islands Trust? It's kind of a long one, but it's easy to remember. So it's Islesboro Islands Trust. No punctuation. Islesboro Islands with an S on that. Plural. Yeah. Middle Island. Dot org. All right. Becky Bartovics, Sierra Club of Maine. Sierra Club Maine. Sierra is Sierra Club dot org slash Maine. Sierra Club dot org slash Maine is our website. Yes. Okay, great. And Rolf Olson, Friends of Sears Island. It's Friends of Sears Island dot org. And in addition to any information about our programs, we have a page that we try to keep up to date with lots of resources about the offshore wind port strategy that's happening in Maine. So historical documents and plans. And a great resource for getting out on the island. If you haven't been there before, it's free. It's right off Route 1 in Searsport. You take the road down to the island and go out there and walk around and see for yourself. So this conversation will definitely be be continuing in 2023. This is one of the things that Maine Currents is going to follow right through to the end as we have the other projects and Maybe someday the designation of Sears Island as completely public land. Who knows? But we'll see. So thank you all for being with me. And I know we'll be talking again. Thanks, Amy. Thank you very much. That was Becky Bartovics of the main chapter of the Sierra Club, Stephen Miller of Islesboro Islands Trust, and Rolf Olson of Friends of Sears Island. And we'll link to all of their organizations on our archives and on the show notes of the podcast for today's program. Following up on a couple of threads from today's conversation as we wrap up, first, we did not hear from Becky Bartovics from the main chapter of the Sierra Club as much as we would have liked as she was feeling a little under the weather. After taping, she reached out and asked to add the following. She said that she would have liked to add a little bit more about, quote, how frustrating this window dressing of an advisory group has been first appointing it second never telling them until the second meeting that there would not be any consensus or consent agreement third the utter lack of transparency oh and i forgot the group was chosen in january no notice about when they were going to meet until may when they were given two weeks notice agenda came later not enough notice to get people to the meetings Luckily, Steve has been getting some FOA information, so more is known about how and when this idea came about. Becky Bartovics continues, quote, For me, I cannot accept that DOT owns the island. The people of Maine own it. They have management rights, in my opinion. Then there is the issue of climate change and our need to restore, not destroy, coastal wetlands. As carbon sinks are protectors of flora and fauna as downstream feeders, The obvious choice is Mac Point as a metaphor for new tech replacing 20th century oil addiction. The very idea that they would be barging things back and forth across the harbor is a time and money waster, never mind a carbon footprint nightmare, close quote. Guests on the show we did on this topic last year also pointed out the irony of destroying wild island habitat to build an alternative energy hub, which may make it a bit harder to promote this as a clean energy project. Following up on some of the questions about the other committees working on the governor's offshore wind project, we came across an outdated page on the state's website, which we'll link to, that says, quote, 
In March 2020, Governor Mills identified the Port of Sears port as a leading site in Maine to support the transportation, assembly, and fabrication of offshore wind turbines and called for a study to further analyze the opportunity, end quote. Eastport is not mentioned. Finally, there have been questions around transparency in this process. The committee tasked with exploring site location is expected to meet again in January, but there is no information about that meeting on their website as of December 30th. Committee members have complained that the minutes do not accurately reflect the discussions that took place at previous meetings. And while the meetings are accessible via Zoom, requests to record them so they can be made available have been met with resistance. Maine DOT video and digital media coordinator Michael Cole responded to our questions about this via email in early December saying, quote, we haven't recorded any of these meetings and we have no plans to record this one either. However, you're of course welcome to record your own screen using your own methods, close quote. Now, of course, this doesn't help anyone who doesn't have the equipment to do that or the time. And if you could record it, you could be at the meeting anyway. So I asked again at the December meeting, this is kind of tied in with another question that I had, but here's how that went. Amy Brown, I believe you are next, Amy. Hi, thank you. I don't know if this has been discussed at a previous meeting because this is the first one I've attended, but do you have any idea or estimate of how many over-the-road vehicles, how much traffic in and out of the facility would be happening on an average day? And then my, and I'll uh, mute myself again, but my uh, follow-up also is, have you considered recording these meetings for the public so that they can be put online somewhere so that I mean, the option asking to record is not even enabled. So I'm recording through a makeshift method I have, but that's not going to be accessible to most most people. So moving forward, I think it's pretty simple to record these and just put the link online somewhere so the public can hear what y'all are talking about. Thanks, yeah, thanks. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Bill. Oh, I was going to say uh, absolutely. Uh, overland, upland traffic transportation needs to be analyzed and quantified one day, Matt. And Matt, on our the offshore wind website, we have put detailed summaries of of the conversation as well as attachments. We're also going to roll everything up into a final report. And the issue of uh, recording future meetings and making them available to the public. Matt, we can chat about that, Kay. We can chat about that. We haven't recorded prior ones um, just because it's a really just a, an event in time, but I, we can revisit it. Jim Bernard, I, sir, I think you were next. So if the state's going to make it hard for the public to know what's happening here, you can bet we're going to stay right on top of this issue on main currents in 2023. Along with other issues that you are concerned about, let us know what those are. Email us at news at weru.org. You've been listening to Maine Currents, independent local news, views, and culture back in our regular time slot after a year-long hiatus. So be sure to catch us here on the first Tuesday of every month at 4. You can also listen to our archives later if you missed a program. But the most convenient thing to do if you can't always listen at 4 is subscribe to our podcast and have our shows delivered right to your phone. You can do that with all of our locally produced news and public affairs programs. Just go to weru.org and we'll walk you through all the steps to do that. I'm Amy Brown. Thanks for listening and keep it tuned here to your community radio station, WERU-FM 89.9 Blue Hill.